what I realized is that when we cross over, not only do we leave behind our physical bodies, but we leave behind our gender, our culture, our religion, all of that gets left behind. And all our beliefs, all of that gets left behind. So what crosses over? What crosses over is our pure essence, our soul, and that is made of pure love. Welcome to Manifestable. I'm your host, Danette May, and each week I will bring you epic guests and live coaching where you can come to receive profound breakthroughs, courage to break old patterns, and live into your soul's purpose. My mission is to remind people of their power and that they have the control to tap into their energy to achieve extraordinary things. Before I introduce today's guest, I'm offering all of you, my listeners, a free money magnet visualization. This visualization, which is super simple to do, will help empower you. It will give you the tools to attract more financial abundance into your life. You're going to sign up through the link in the show notes. I cannot wait to hear your stories of how abundance is flowing to you. Go check out my Instagram and Facebook at May to stay updated with me on all things podcast. And don't forget to share your favorite part of today's episode after listening. It is a good one today because today the amazing Anita Morajani is joining us. Now, let me tell you, I brought on Anita Morajani because I read her book maybe three years ago and it was a light bulb moment for me on the power and the frequency needed to manifest extraordinary things in your life. She is not only a best-selling author, she is a cancer survivor and leader for embracing sensitivity as our superpower. This is the deal though. She has an amazing story to share today. One about literally dying and coming back and completely healing her body. You guys... This is going to rock your world. If you haven't heard her story, she is traveling around the world sharing it. She is talking to lead doctors around the world around what she discovered as she died and came back. So I cannot wait for this episode because we're going to go there. We're going to talk about all the juicy details. And you can find Anita on Instagram at Anita Morajani and check out her fantastic book because this is the book that I read, Dying to Be Me and her website, anitamorajani.com. Are you guys ready? Let's get started. Hello, Anita. I can't express how fun it is for me to actually see your eyes, feel your energy on this video because I have read your book. I have listened to any audio I can find on YouTube where you're talking about your journey. Your book has profoundly affected me and the way that I show up as a teacher, as a human, as a mom. So I just want to say thank you. And I'm excited to dive in deeper with you. Wow. Thank you for that. And, uh, and it makes me, it delights me to hear that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're both Hay House authors. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I didn't know that actually. Congratulations. I don't know how long you've been with Hay House for. They asked me to write my first book. 2019 and then the second book right after <laughs> so yeah 
but I knew about you and I've been hearing about you from girlfriends. So it was just kind of like a little sweet surprise. Be like, oh, she's a Hay Health author too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to check out your books when this is over, when this interview is over. Yeah. Anita, I know your story and I would love if you could just give a high version because I think people are like, why is Danette so intrigued by this beautiful woman? Like, I want you to share just a little bit about where you were and what happened and how it's led you to this path right now. And then we're going to get into some juicy details. Okay. I love the juicy details part. So in 2002, I was diagnosed with lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so I'm going to give you the shorter version so we can dive into the juicy details. Over a course of four years, it progressed and uh, spread throughout my lymphatic system. So I had tumors, some of them the size of golf balls, from the base of my skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my breasts, all the way down to my abdomen. And by that point, so let's say, towards the end of 2005, like three and a half years on, I was so ridden with cancer that my body stopped absorbing nutrition. I weighed 85 pounds. I looked like a skeleton. My lungs were always filled with fluid, which had to be drained. And if I lay down, I would choke on my own fluid. I had open skin lesions. I couldn't breathe without the aid of oxygen. I had piped oxygen. My oxygen uptake was like super low. And my muscles had become completely atrophied because I wasn't absorbing nutrition. So I couldn't walk. I couldn't even hold my head up. So my head was always kind of hanging down on my neck. I was always kind of lying in bed or sitting in a wheelchair, but I was in so much pain and discomfort. And the doctors had already told my family, my husband and everybody that uh, this was terminal and I was going to die. And then in February of 2006, February the 2nd, is when I fell into a coma. And that's because my organs had now started to shut down. And the doctors told my family that I was not going to come out of the coma, that I was not even going to make it through the night. But while I was in the coma, and unbeknownst to everyone around me, like my family were all distraught and they were praying for me and uh, willing me to come back. My soul or spirit left my body and I was no longer my body and I felt incredible. I felt light, I felt free and I felt joy and I felt things that I don't ever remember feeling before. And I mean, ever, I mean, I'd never felt this much lightness and freedom and joy and love. That was the other thing I felt. I felt like I was enveloped in this sea of love. And I've never felt that before. I mean, not even before the diagnosis, not even when I was healthy, never have I ever felt that level of just love and joy. And it was just the most beautiful feeling. And I was aware of what was happening I could see the doctors rushing in and doing things to my body. I could see my family. They were distraught. And I wanted to tell them, don't worry about me. I'm okay. I really wanted to communicate with that with them. But it was really hard because we don't have physical body. We don't have vocal cords. But a big part of me knew that 
it's okay because I'm going to be reunited with them again someday. I kind of knew that I was going through the dying process, that this is it, I'm dying. And I was like, oh, this feels pretty good. This is not what I had expected. I had been in so much pain and discomfort and I had been in so much fear. I feared the disease. I feared the treatments of the disease. I feared death. I, you know, so I had been in this horrible, dark place. And now it was like, oh, I've come out of it. It's light. It's beautiful. I feel incredible. And then the next thing I realized was that I started to become aware of other beings around me. So I started to leave behind the scene of the hospital and I started to become aware of other beings around me. And I recognized some of them, but not all of them. But they were all just like surrounding me with this sea of love, like just unconditional love. And I just felt this incredible amount of love. Nothing, again, nothing like I'd ever felt in physical life before. It was like I was loved just because I existed. And here's the piece that really blew my mind that I want people to get. My whole life, I thought I had to worship you know, we can call it God or angels or the people on the other side. I thought I had to acquiesce to them and comply to them and worship them or please them or pray to them. When I was there, what I felt was like everybody, everything, source, everything on the other side actually worship us for being here. It was like they welcomed me and it was like, almost like they're cheering you, like well done for that journey. You know, we've been cheering for you. We've been worshiping you and helping you. So they're like the ones showering us with love and energy. And we're over here struggling, saying, oh, my God, have I not appeased God enough? Have I? They're doing that with they're us. They're like, you've done it. You're amazing. You were there. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you lived through this incarnation on earth. It's like it was a big deal. For me, that was like, whoa, I worked so hard in trying to be spiritual and trying to serve source or angels or whatever. I didn't need to. They were trying to serve me. Wow. You just said something huge. They are trying to serve you and you were loved just because you existed. Yes. Yes. Just because I chose to incarnate and come here and onto this planet. And this is true for all of us. And we lose our way while we're here. That's why we do crazy stuff. But the thing is, when we chose to come here, it was a big deal. And they are there cheering us on. So that was like, wow, I never knew I was so loved. I never knew that I was supposed to love myself. And that's how I serve them, by loving myself and being joyful. Because all they want me to do is uplift the planet with joy. Wow. Okay. So I do know this part of the story. You saw all this. You felt all this. You were like, whoa, I'm being celebrated. Everything is love. I, I, can I ask you about the scene when you, I think you saw your father. Yes. And there was forgiveness. Can you take us to that scene? Sure. So one of the spirits that I recognized was my dad, my father. And during my life, I had a very turbulent relationship with my dad. A lot of it is to do with my culture because he wanted me to have an arranged marriage. And, and in my culture... What's your culture again? My parents are Hindu. We're Indian, ethnically Indian. I've never lived in India. I've always grown up outside of India. We traveled because of my dad's work. I actually went to school in Hong Kong, which is 
predominantly a Chinese city, but I went to a British school because my parents wanted me to speak English. But at home, they practiced their Hindu culture. But they, even though I went to a British school, lived in a Chinese city, they wouldn't let go of the Indian culture. They still wanted me to marry an Indian man, preferably somebody chosen by them, arranged by them. So they felt they knew what was best for me. And this was in the 80s. I grew up in the 70s. I had an arranged marriage in the 80s. In 86, I was 87, sorry, I was supposed to be married to a man that they chose. But three days before the wedding, I ran away. And if you know anything about Indian weddings, I mean, they are week-long affairs. Very expensive, right? And everyone's coming. And Everyone from all over the world had already arrived and, and everything was booked, you know, the dinners, the hall, the temple, the this, the that. And I ran away three days before the wedding. And that brought a lot of shame to my family, his family, of course, and because I realized I couldn't go through with this. Basically, in my culture particularly during that time in the 80s, the values that my parents were holding on to is that there's a lot of gender disparity and women, their worth is measured by how valuable they are to the men in their community. So basically you can't leave home. You can't live if you're a woman and you finish studying. First of all, you're discouraged from working. You're discouraged from earning your own money. You're discouraged from higher education because it makes you too independent. The more independent you are, the less desirable you are for a man in, who is wanting an arranged marriage. So I was expected to be good at housework. And you're judged by your housework, your quality of housework, your cooking. And, and here's the worst thing. So my value was measured by how good I was at housework. I was terrible at housework. I hated housework. Exactly. You're a little rebel. You're like, I'm running away. I don't want to do housework. And you're probably disappointing them on all fronts. <laughs> I was, so yeah, I was a very disappointing, I disappointed a lot of people on all fronts. And, and the thing is, what happened is, even though I came across as a rebel, I was really also scared by what I had done because I was told that no man will marry me now after what I'd done. And so I disappointed my dad. And I used to feel a lot of fear, fear of disappointing people, fear of not living up to expectations, because I always felt that I didn't fit in. I wasn't like all my other Indian friends. They all had arranged marriages and they were OK with it. They were getting married. They were having kids. And, you know, I love kids. I, I wanted to have kids. But they had no other life other than being at home. Yeah, I wanted life. to. Yeah, that was their life, being at home, which is great if that's what you want to do. It should be your choice. And that's what I rebelled against. It wasn't my choice. I wanted to earn my own money and use it to travel the world. And I had lots of dreams. I wasn't allowed to have those dreams. And even my future in-laws, when I was engaged, they had made it clear to me that I, they would not let me go back to school to finish my education. They would not let me work. I had to stay at home. So that's why I ran away. But anyway, so I had always felt that I had let my dad down, that I had disappointed my dad. And then he passed away before I got married to the man who is now my husband. So my dad had passed away. And when I met my dad, all he wanted me to do all he wanted me to know was that he loved me unconditionally. And I was looking for forgiveness from my dad. But what I felt from him was that there was no need to forgive. 
because he didn't feel I'd done anything wrong from the perspective of that side. And what I realized is that when we cross over, not only do we leave behind our physical bodies, but we leave behind our gender, our culture, our religion. All of that gets left behind. And all our beliefs, all of that gets left behind. So what crosses over? What crosses over is our pure essence, our soul. And that is made of pure love. And that part of ourselves completely understands and empathizes with that part of other people. And that's who we're all comprised of. And you realize there's no need to even forgive because you just get them. You just know why they did what they did. And you only need to forgive someone because you judge them as having done something wrong. Yeah. But over here, it's like, yeah, you were just being you. Of course you did that. So, and also because we have no vocal cords and no bodies, we're not talking to each other on that side like we are here, stringing sentences together. It's literally like two pure essences just merging and just knowing. So he knew my pure love and I knew his pure love. And I always say, if we could all, every single person in the world could get in touch with that, we would have no problems. There would be no wars. There would be no political discontent and all this polarity. All of that would disappear if we didn't use words and language and culture and beliefs and blah, blah, blah. But literally soul to soul connection. Oh, my God. It would be an amazing world. That's why I share my story, because that's my intention is just to spread that. So important, actually, because this story, obviously, you're walking today. I know that everything got healed on your body because you chose love. And so through that frequency of love and through that knowing, you were able to heal and come here and be a voice to this very voice of what we're doing. But energetically, like if we can just remember, because I think there's so much pain, like anyone listening right now, we have these human experiences where we're bumping into these contractions with one another of like, my dad did this, or my mom did this, or my brother did this, or this happened, or, you know, the government did this, or my religion or whatever. And we're all just kind of going right and having these human experiences, but at the very core of everything, the finest essence is this love and this remembrance that we're all light and there is no words of like forgiveness because there's nothing to forgive. And that's so powerful. That's so powerful because we hold on to these feelings when people pass on of I'm not complete or I I feel sadness or I feel shamed or I wish I could just say sorry. I wish I could say sorry. They already know that. They already know you're sorry. They already know your essence and your soul. And so you're already forgiven, (laughs) you know? Exactly. And then you understand from that perspective when you're on that side and you look back on your life, you even understand why you did what you did and why things happened the way they, they did. And And so that's why from that perspective, I understood why my body got cancer. It was because I had never loved myself. I had never allowed myself to believe that I am loved. I had lived a life of fear, despite the fact that I ran away from the marriage. A spark of me was like, I can't do this. But even then, 
I was living in this state of fear of letting down my community, letting down my family. I was never good enough. And what happened, though, is that I came to a point where I felt as though I had a choice as to whether to come back into my body or continue in that realm. Now, no part of me wanted to come back into this body because, because I was sick and dying. And, the, and, you know, I felt I had been suffering. My family had been suffering. Why would I come back into this body? But it was at that point that somehow in a state of clarity, I understood and I felt that I was being told or shown that if I chose to come back into my body, now that I knew what I knew, my body would heal and it would heal very, very quickly. And I started to feel that my purpose wasn't completed and that I needed to come back. And I understood that my husband, who, you know, my now husband, I started to realize that his purpose and my purpose were linked. And if I didn't come back and didn't complete my purpose, he wouldn't be able to complete his purpose either. And it was at that point that my dad said, go back and live your life fearlessly. Like basically, that's all you have to do. You don't have to figure anything out. You don't have to figure out your purpose. Just go and live your life fearlessly. Like be yourself fearlessly. That was like the message from my dad. And when I got that message, that was when I thought I made the decision. Okay, I'm going back. That's when I started to come out of the coma. And I'd been in the coma for like 30 hours only, you know, like just not even a day and a half. And I started to come out of it and everybody was really surprised. And I started to tell them, oh, I saw the doctor doing this and saying this to you guys. And they were all shocked that I could see here and hear all of that. But within four or five days, they saw that all these golf ball sized tumors were softening and shrinking. So every the doctors were blown away. They couldn't explain it. Within five weeks, they found no trace of cancer in my body. And that was on March 9th, 2006. And, and one piece that I like to add is that, you know, it was my dad, because I had such a tumultuous relationship with my dad during my life. It was my dad who instilled fear in me when I was growing up, and when I was alive, and when he was alive. But it was my dad who also removed that fear and broke that fear cycle in death. I'm constantly asked where I find the energy to run three businesses and travel the world all while being a wife and a mom of two. And the truth is there are a lot of tools in my belt to manage my energy, but I have to be really real. One of my favorite ones is drinking cacao bliss. Actually, I am drinking it right now. I like doing it when I have to work because it gives me so much energy. It gives me energy without the crash like caffeine does or like coffee, which totally messes up your adrenals. And it actually taps me into my heart, which makes me feel more connected to source and to source energy. It is absolutely game changing for me. And when I discovered the superfood that cacao is, I knew I needed to bring it to the masses so everyone could experience a healthy alternative to energy drinks, supplements, coffee, whatever it is, so that you have access to a healthy, delicious, amazing chocolatey drink. And that is why I created Cacao Bliss. Now, it's not just raw cacao. It is infused with seven additional superfoods. So it's super amazing for immunity. It has this amazing chocolatey decadent taste with only less than one gram of sugar. So that is insane. So if you want to experience the healing powers of Cacao Bliss, 
for a limited time only, you can go to earthechofoods.com. You can grab yourself a bag, I suggest two, of <laughs> cacao bliss by using the code MANIFESTABLE. This is for all of you Manifestable podcast listeners. Go to earthechofoods.com and use the code at checkout, MANIFESTABLE, and you're going to get 15% off your order. Yeah. 15% off. So go to earthechofoods.com and use Manifestable at checkout and get 15% off. Now let's get back to the show. Mm, my goodness. <laughs> okay, I want to go into Juicy because I know there's a lot of, I obviously really um, can understand this because I've been doing a lot of deep work around this phenomenon. And, but I do know people listening are going to be like, well, I have this question. I have this question. So I'm going to go there for them. Okay. Because this is not about you and me. This is about everyone listening and, and how they can really relate this to their life. So are you saying, and, and from your perspective, cause you, you have different eyes, you have different eyes of what you've seen compared to a lot of us. And so would you say that, that if you feel that there's someone that you need forgiveness from, or you're feeling that you did something wrong, or you should pay the price for whatever you've done, that the people passed on would tell you, no, you're good. You just choose to be in love and light from here on out. And you're fine. You can wipe all that away. Would you say that they say that? Yes, I would say that they say that. So, so here's the thing. I want to unpack it a little bit. What happens with us is when we do something that we perceive as being wrong, like we may hurt someone. Of course, if we've hurt someone, we do want to say to them, you know, I really am sorry, I hurt you and so on. And, and the biggest piece of this is that a lot of people just say sorry or they, they say things, which is it's just surface. It's like, oh, I need something from you. So I'm going to say this so that you're appeased. But what I'm saying is, really go into your heart and feel what you made them feel. And when you feel that, when you're in their presence, they're going to feel it too. This soul to soul thing is real. They're going to feel it. Now, the second piece I want to say is when we've done something wrong, we end up feeling guilty and we end up feeling I need forgiveness and so on. Sometimes all these emotions get in the way of the pure love that can come out of us we are better off putting those things aside and saying, I'm just going to tune into my soul and I'm going to tune into the part of me that felt it had to react that way because maybe something was triggered in you. And so there was a survival thing that came out in you and you reacted in a way that you regret. And so you're like, oh, I need forgiveness for doing that. But get in touch with that part of you that caused you to react that way. And just forgive yourself for that. It's like, I'm human. Of course I reacted that way. It's because of something in my past, in my upbringing. All of us at some level or other have been traumatized at some point in our life. And this causes us to bump up against uh, other people and we hurt each other. But if each and every one of us can let go of the hurt quite quickly and get in touch with the love that's contained within all of us, we would be much better off in moving forward. And the thing is, I speak a lot also about not being a doormat because there is also a type of spirituality where people do believe that in order to love everybody unconditionally, I need to say yes to everything and let them walk all over me. That's not true either. Because here's the number one thing. You are an essence of God. 
So you need to value yourself and know that you've come here for a purpose. You've come here to be an expression of source or God or whatever we want to call it. So you cannot let that piece of you be completely submerged and walked on and doormatted on. And you can't do that. You have to honor that as well and let it shine and be who it is. And sometimes that will ruffle feathers. And sometimes ruffling feathers is a good thing. I ruffle feathers in the in the devoutly religious communities. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Here's the deal. I feel like as humans, we all have these, what, what, we're, what I'm calling contractions, which are wounds, traumas, disturbances. And of course, when we have these contractions from past wound, we're going to bump up against something that's going to resonate with that, right? And so we have these opportunities to go, oh, that kind of bothers me what Anita's saying or what Jeanette's saying or that person did and go, why does that? Interesting. I'm going to be curious about this because maybe there's something in my past that's creating a little bit of a rub around a belief system that's maybe not even true or around something because we're all love. And I just, I love this because when I've done a lot of research around these experiences where people go and even on the on the very human level people have done these kinds of they're sim they have fragments of similarity even when they may do some type of journey right in this world it, there's always this filament that i hear about which is love it's a frequency of understanding of love and that we are all connected and there's nothing to forgive i just had one just recently where i was kind of uncontracting something within my ears around my dad yelling when I was younger. I don't have any anger towards my dad for yelling. He's operating in that realm from what his knowing is at that time. But my opportunity and all of our opportunities to go, oh, instead of being mad at them or blaming or feeling like you're a victim of it, you get to unwire that within yourself so you can get back into that frequency of love because there's a huge conversation happening right now. And there's a conversation in this world that's fascinating. I mean, there's a lot going on where I feel like I could see your purpose so bright and clear, which is these ideas of choosing your own path. There's a lot going on in the world in that regard. And then also in the world of like manifesting, people are talking about it. People are like, how do you do it? Like, what, what does this mean? And, and how do I heal myself? And I want to ask you, because when I listened to you and when I studied this with, through you, I found that if we were to look at manifesting, for example, very human form of, oh, I desire this, how do I create it? That love, like true frequency of love is like the jet fuel for it. It literally is like the conduit to the truth. Would you agree? Absolutely. The true frequency of love is the solution to every issue we have on this planet. And I often say that, you know, like right now, the way the world is, like when we look at the world outside, and I'm not talking about communities that we move around in, but just generally, when you look at the world at large, what is the biggest driving force for everything that happens in this world, innovation and everything? The biggest driving force seems to be money and power. Imagine if the biggest driving force was love. And that was the fuel behind everything we did, every invention, every creation, every, just everything we did, every business, every corporate, everything, the actual 
fuel that drove it was love, we would have a completely different world that would be unrecognizable compared to what we have built today. Yeah. Do you feel that there's a polarity needed in the anger, in the frustration, in the sadness, in these opposites of love for us to get to love? Or do you feel like we can operate as humans without that? I feel that polarity is definitely necessary because it brings movement. It brings friction, which is what causes the forward movement that causes us to evolve, basically. So a level of polarity is needed. But interestingly, having said that, that yes, polarity is needed. And now I'm just speaking from my own perception, just from my own perception of what I'm seeing happening in the world around us, like what I'm seeing happening on social media, on the news, and just generally in the world around us. It's almost like we have, that it's not just friction anymore, but it's like there's been a split which is very different from friction. It's different than this. When there's no charge and it's split, it's a different situation. It's a different, yes. And I literally feel like we have two worlds going on right now. That's how it is looking through my eyes. Oh, can we go here? Can we go here? We want to see it through your eyes, through your lens for a minute and full vulnerability. Describe these two worlds if you can. Okay, so... There is one world, which is where people can see like what I've been describing. So there's us, there's the the talk shows I speak on, like on yours and my social media and my followers and all of us. It's like we live in this one world where we kind of like, let's, let's learn to forgive each other. Let's go beyond forgiveness and let's figure out ways to see the love in each other. And, and we do that and we're building something and we've got something going here. But at the same time, and this is the part that, that you know, I want to articulate carefully, when we become too loud in our sharing and spreading of love, there's a whole other reality happening where there are people who actually feel that their world is being threatened by us. So, it's, so friction is when you have people saying, oh, I'm curious. And then they kind of dip their toes in our side. You might bicker back and forth and you have like discussion and discussion and you're like, convince me your way is better. I love that. I have a lot of healthy skeptics and they're like, convince me of what you're saying and whatever. They're open, but they're skeptical. That's friction. Great. And so I'm going to give you a tangible example just to make it easier to understand. And this applies in so many walks of our life, you know, whether we're talking about government, pharmaceuticals, education, like all of it, all of the things. But let's just take an easy, tangible example like pharmaceuticals. So you have a group of people who have discovered and who are scientifically researching and discovering ways to heal the body that are extremely healthy and life-promoting. On the other side, so this is in the other world that I'm talking about, you have a group of people who originally started out as being people whose research was based on helping people heal their body. But because they patented things and they used inorganic, like um, pharmaceuticals, you know, uh, chemicals and so on, they were able to patent it and they made a boatload of money. 
like trillions of dollars more, you know, that's the biggest industry in the world. They rely on that money. They've built an empire based on things being this way, the status quo being this way. They've built an entire empire. And so they don't want anything to change. So when you have this side, when they're like, when people are here, so sorry, let's go back to the side that's built the empire. Now, what happens is they have evolved so much that they've lost sight of why they started this in the first place. It's no longer about people's health. It literally is about selling pharmaceuticals, say, and developing more and more so more money can be made. It's an empire versus a mission. Yes, exactly. It's an empire versus a mission. And what happens is that they kind of, what is that their focus now is on serving the stockholders and on pleasing them. And so they've lost sight of the original focus. So you have a group of people here saying, hey, let's build something better where our focus is in really healing people and caring for people and only putting in their bodies what's nourishing and, and all the things. And they actually do the science and they do the research and so on. And what happens is that instead of the people here becoming curious and saying, oh, you know, that looks interesting. That was our original mission. Instead of that, they feel threatened and they go out of their way to actually suppress that, squash that, and make them sound like quacks and defund any research that goes into that so that they can continue to create the world that's based on what their values are, which is power and money and so on. And they want to make sure that this world doesn't threaten them. And I just use pharmaceutical as an example, but it's across the board. Yeah, there's all different examples of how that can play out. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that what saddens me is that I'm seeing not so much friction, but a divide. And so even though I'm staunchly on one side of this divide, if everything has to be done for the good of people and for the good of our own well-being, my number one value is well-being, my own and everybody else's. That's my number one value, and it drives everything I do above and beyond anything else. And my number two value is relationships. So, of course, I resonate with other people with the same values, but that's not how everybody in the world thinks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is fascinating. You know, we both come back. Well, you're down. I think you're going, you're marching down a health road of really communicating with doctors and, and communicating this, what you do know and what you're seeing. And I've been in this health world as well, sharing what I've known over the past, whatever, 10, 15 years. And I feel like this is a whole nother conversation and another podcast of like talking about health and talking about love when it comes to health and talking about like getting back into its true essence and letting go of these certain emotions for pure health. I, I, I do want to go there, but it's, it's fascinating because I'm, I'm sensing what you are with the worlds, but almost like it was already written in the stars that this would maybe come about so that we could get back to this and back into the simplicity of what actually health is and well-being because it got so 
and I, I see it because I speak at these biohacking conferences and I'm like, wow, we have all these machines. But I'm like, did you know that that tree and that dirt and that tide pool do all the same things as all these machines that you're creating? <laughs> I love that. I love what you're doing. I love that. And, you know, even though our conversation now actually drifted into the health, really my primary passion is actually in talking about the love and, and the other side. You know, I love, that's my primary passion. And of course, the health path comes into it because in my own life, in my own body, that played such a huge role in my health. Absolutely. And people are curious because people are dealing with different body ailments that are having them be in pain and have them feel like they can't live in their purpose because they're only thinking about pain in their body. And so if if we can support in freeing that, that's important, you know, and that can come with what we think and how we feel about the choices we've made and the love we have within our hearts. Exactly. And I just want to also kind of cap what I said before about the two worlds. I don't want people to feel worried or concerned about that because it's not like we can't bridge it. And the reason I wanted to mention the two worlds is because what we now need to do is not just heal friction, but we need to build the bridge. And the thing is, I'm forever an optimist. I always think that anything can heal. I mean, I came back from beyond death. And so if my body can heal, anything like, can anything's heal. possible. <laughs> anything's possible. So the purpose here is not about pointing out, even though I needed to do that to go here, the purpose was not about pointing out that it's a split and it's going to be forever. It's pointing it out so we know that, okay, this is what we have to heal, not just friction, but we actually have to really bring people together who are poles apart. And that's what we have to heal. Wow. This is so good. I want to ask because I'm going to just go there because I feel like I want, I'm trying to make these episodes a little bit more bite-sized, more tangible. Would you be open to coming back on with me down the road where we can just kind of talk even more? Because I feel like we opened up to the story and now we get to like really dive into what is this love? Like, how would you incorporate more love into your life when you do get rubbed wrong or when you feel not so loving, right? And then how that can translate in all areas of your life, your relationships, your well-being, all of it. I would love that. And so I want to ask you first, are you open to doing that? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I've really... Uh, amazing. And what I'm going to tell everybody listening is go ahead and share this episode that will let us know that you want to need a back, maybe even mention it on social because this conversation, like this is the bridge, having these types of conversations and being open to these experiences that some humans that I feel are honestly walking angels have had listening and, and really going, what is this message in here? And ultimately for me, I'm like, the message for me was love 100%. Like, who can I forgive? And also forgiving myself. But I love where you talk about doormat because it has nothing to do with that. The more you love yourself and the more you love others, the more firm you are and the more direct and the more people know where you stand and it, it all works together <laughs> when we can get all into those details on the next one. But please, everyone just share and leave a message on social. So I know you want to have Anita back and Anita in closing, imagine that you had like maybe two sentences. And I know that's so I, had, I asked a woman in Ethiopia who probably never 
talk to anyone. I was interviewing her, powerful woman, and I asked her the same question. Her response was potent. So I have no doubt yours will be too. But I was like, if you were to really, truly stand in front of, let's just call it thousands or millions of women, let's talk women that identifies women or human, we can say that. What would be that message that you feel right now in this time and space that you get to deliver to them? So what I would want all women to know is that as women, we have been conditioned to always give and to love, to love other people, to always be benevolent and to see all other people as God and to see God in the eyes of our children, in our partners. In our, and, and we've been trained, we've been conditioned to see that in other people. I want to remind women to see God in their own eyes. When you look in the mirror, see the God that's inside you and allow that to express itself. See the God in your own eyes and allow that to express itself through you. Powerful, powerful message. Anita, thank you so much. This is actually a dream for me because I've always wanted to talk to you and ask you some questions. And I just appreciate you for writing the book, being vulnerable and continuing to share the message. It's, it's time and it's so beautiful and it's been time forever, but thank you so much for saying yes now. Oh, thank you so much. I loved your questions and I can't wait to be back on again. 